What is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. The first UFC pay-per-view of 2023 is in the books. UFC 283 from Rio delivered in a big way. The Brazilians with a big night. That is until the main and co-main in which we got and new times two. Will Brewer, what is happening this evening, my friend? Man, it's, it's always good to talk some MMA, man. Uh, snowy day, but it's a it's a good day. Uh, first pay-per-view of the year was awesome. From the from the early prelims to the main event, so we got a lot to unpack, man. But it, it was definitely a good Saturday. We do indeed. Before we get there, I've got to ask you a question that came up during my radio show today. At what point do you consider it to be the evening time? At what point do I consider it to be the evening time? Five thirty. Okay. 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 I'm gonna say five thirty. But really, it's whenever the sun goes down. So, like at this point, it's it's five thirty. Okay. But in the summer, it's like eight nine o'clock. Yeah, I guess. yeah. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. My answer was when I was a kid, I always felt like when the sun went down, that's when it was the evening. Uh, uh, so that that was exactly my point. I said now, I guess I consider it to be somewhere between five and six o'clock. I don't know that I have a definitive time. I could probably be swayed in a lot of different areas, but I said somewhere between five and six o'clock would be my, my guess. So five thirty to your point is right in the middle of that. I, I could be sold on that. Yeah. Right in the middle. Cause like five o'clock, you know, that's, that still seems like everyone's still getting off of work. And uh, I don't know. It just doesn't really seem like it's there yet. It's still like in the afternoon time, I feel like five thirty is like that happy medium where uh, people are getting home, sun's going down, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but yeah, I, if you want to say five, six you know it's it's not you know something yeah. i'm going to debate about i think those are all like good points yeah i i, I had five o'clock mentioned five thirty. i had six uh there was a seven there was an eight there was another agreement that when the sun goes down is officially evening time so uh yeah i don't i don't know that anybody like it's it didn't seem to be a consensus in terms of the majority of people feeling one way it was just kind of all over the map so anyway like just a, wanted to get your take is on there that. like a is there like a definition of like when like like, what would Google say? Would Google say the evening is X time? That's a good question. Okay, I just Googled <laughs> evening. The period of time at the end of the day, usually from about 6 p.m. to bedtime. Yeah, so, so I mean, 5.30 or, yeah, I feel like that's good. In the dictionary, it doesn't even say, like, a specific time. It says, usually from 6 p.m. to bedtime. <laughs> there you go. I mean, if, if the dictionary says that, but I feel like 530 is still the right answer. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's jump into things. UFC 283 from Rio on Saturday. By the way, we have no UFC fight card this weekend. Uh, short little break after back-to-back -back cards before the month of February and into March is jam-packed with fireworks. Uh, UFC 283 on Saturday, the main event for the vacant light heavyweight championship of the world, former champion Glover Teixeira, and Jamal Hill getting a massive opportunity. I think uh, going into this fight, I picked Glover to win. The one thing I felt like I could bank on with Glover was the chin would hold up. He's going to take some shots in this fight, but I felt like the chin would hold up to give him the opportunities he needed to get this fight to where he needed it to go. I was half right in that. The chin did hold up, but he didn't really ever take this fight, or at least not frequently, to where he needed it to go. Uh, and part of that is maybe all of us not necessarily having a good feel for where Jamal Hill's takedown defense and or ground defense was going to be. So the, the chin stood up, but I think we all have to give Jamal Hill a massive amount of credit for how good the takedown defense was, uh, how good he was on the ground the two times that Glover did get him down, and now a very deserving light heavyweight champion. Oh, yeah. I mean, those are the two big questions for me. Like, could Jamal Hill um, stuff the takedowns? Could he keep it on the feet? And uh, could Glover take Jamal Hill's power? Uh, the answers to, to those questions were yes. Like, Glover could take Jamal Hill's power. He took it many times. Uh, Too much. And Jamal Hill was <laughs> able, yeah. And Jamal Hill was able to stuff uh, 15 of 17 takedowns, which was uh, the story of the fight. Uh, being able to keep this fight um, at on the feet, where uh, he basically, uh, we knew that he was a superior striker. Uh, By a but large just the way that, yeah. But just the way that he was able to, uh, stuff those takedowns. And then when he did get taken down, he he never panicked. Um, when Glover got full mount in the fifth, it, it never looked like he was in desperation or anything. 
He stayed calm, stayed composed. You could tell, like, he drilled being in bad positions many times throughout camp. And, uh, you know, those things worked out for him uh, in the fight. I, I think that uh, they did a great job of uh, probably simulating those bad situations during the fight or during training camp, which helped Jamal Hill in, in the fight. But I, I think it was a, a, a very phenomenal performance. I think um, it's my early uh, prediction for performance of the year. We'll probably see some better performances, but I think right off the bat, um, that championship winning performance against the best grappler in the division um, was just remarkable. Um, and, and especially we didn't know, like uh, we saw him against Paul Craig who got him in a very bad position early, trapped his arm uh, in the first, in the early parts of the fight. Uh, And then Tiago Santos was able to get him down a few times uh, and made the fight really, really grueling for Jamal Hill. But uh, just the way that he was able to uh, just kind of negate that part of Glover's game, and then just win this fight. His cardio held up. Uh, the striking was good, even in, in the later championship rounds. I almost got the finish in the fourth. I was actually clamoring. I was like, come on, like, stop this fight. When Glover was taking punishment up against the fence, I'm like, come on, just stop this fight. But um, Glover, being the warrior that he is, uh, stayed in there for the full five rounds. But just an incredible performance from Jamal Hill and an incredible performance from Glover. Yeah. Uh, Glover Teixeira said after the fight that he's too tough for his own good in his retirement speech, essentially, uh, which after the last two times he's been in the octagon and the amount of damage he took to Yuri Prohaska and now Jamal Hill. I mean, my gosh, uh, the championship run that he went on late in his career uh, when I think a lot of people thought that, you know, his best days were behind him. uh, Ultimately, his best days were ahead of him. And in his 40s, he not only becomes a champion, Will, but in terms of just the level that he was fighting at, yes, he lost to Yuri, lost to Yuri in a fight that he was leading with a minute to go. And, you know, ultimately it kind of slipped through his fingers and the Jamal Hill fight again, like that was a war in which he stood toe to toe with arguably the best striker in that entire division. And, uh, you know, was never necessarily out of the fight. Although Jamal Hill had a massive lead in terms of scorecards. Um, the run that Glover Teixeira goes on late in his career is, is really unlike anything we've seen in the sport, right? I mean, is there another scenario where a guy that late in his career peaks the way that Glover did? I don't think so, man. I mean, Randy Couture was, was, uh, uh, became a champion in his forties, but like, uh, it wasn't anything like this, but he had Um, been at the peak for a long, long time. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't anything like what Glover did. Uh, like just, just to think back, like look at the strikers, the high level strikers, the the high level knockout artists that this guy has taken on just in his last few fights, Tiago Santos. Uh, that, and this was Tiago Santos before you know he became trigger happy, or you know before he became, uh, you know, not willing to engage. Right. Like this was the, the scary Tiago. This Santos. was the fight that caused him to not engage, right? This was the last time we exactly. saw Tiago Santos as Tiago Santos. Yeah. That was the last one, and then then he goes Jan Blachowicz. The guy who was who knocked out Dominic Reyes, the legendary Polish power, uh, negated that. Uh, hung tough with Yuri Prohaska, even hurt him on the feet, yep. and even made this fight with Jamal Hill a brawl. Like Glover to share it in the later stages of, of his career, nothing short of spectacular. His chin holding up like that. I mean, just the training that he's been with. I mean, Glover to share it at 42, 43 years of age, just peaking in that way. I don't think we may not ever see that again. But his story is a story of resiliency. I mean, he came in, he, he came into the UFC after just years of trying to get into the into the United States. Chuck Liddell was trying to get him in, into the United States. He was telling everybody like Glover to share his next. Uh, by the time he gets here, the light heavyweight division is being ran by John Jones, Daniel Cormier, uh, Alexander Gustafson, Rumble Johnson. He still got a title shot, but you know those guys are four of the best light heavyweights of all time. You know Glover was just in in that was just in that mix. But, and over the years he was up and down, up and down until he just found the fountain of youth and got on this run, became a champion. And I'm so glad that he did because like that, he just put the stamp on a hall of fame career and then goes down in Brazil for his last fight to be a title fight. I mean, you can't really write things to be better than that. So I'm glad Glover got it done and uh, ended the way he did. He doesn't, he doesn't win the fight. He doesn't win the belt back, but he was a champion He had a great run. And look, I mean, there's a lot to be said about when you ultimately decide to pull the trigger on a career. And I think there were two big time examples on this fight card alone of of that. Right. Glover goes out following back to back 
losses, but in title fights where he takes a an incredible amount of damage versus Shogun being the feature prelim, not even on the main card for a guy that's also a Hall of Famer, right? And down the stretch of his career, like that OSP fight, Will, was absolutely atrocious. And then you see a guy like Shogun get finished in the first round. Uh, you know, that's that's tough to watch. And, and even though Glover doesn't go out necessarily, quote unquote, on top, going out this way versus staying way too long, like, again, I'm not here to tell anybody when they need to call it quits. I'm just saying from a viewer standpoint, it's tough to watch people go the route that Shogun went, where down the stretch, it's it's really tough to watch. Yeah, man. You know, uh, Shogun, for for years, I think he was trying to, I don't know if he was trying to find, you know, the right fight to go out on, but, you know, he was ho- he was holding tough for years. Um, his last win was against Little Nog in 2020. And then, you know, he fought Paul Craig to a draw. I mean, he had some moments, yeah. but I think over time, it just it just started to really get uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but it's like, all right, man, it's time. He lost to Paul Craig um, at the end of 2020. And then that OSP fight, like you said, I mean, that was just the first stinker that we saw on that card, <laughs> the same as Rose and Carla. But uh, um, it sucks that he had to end like this. It's good that, he, that it happened in Brazil, I guess, but it was good to see Shogun get honored at least. And, you know, the crowd was able to, you know, yeah. salute him. But, you know, Glover, on the other hand, he did it right. He did it the, the correct way. He had two wars where he fought admirably. And you're going to remember Glover as being uh, the best grappler in the light heavyweight division. You're going to remember him being a former light heavyweight champion. You're going to remember him being the top two or three best light heavyweights in the world as he retires. Um, it's not it, it never really got uncomfortable except towards the end of that fight with Jamal Hill. But at least he was in a title fight. Yeah. So. I mean, props to Glover for realizing that it was time. And we got to see Glover just get that career resurgence. It was just awesome to see. What if I told you, and I know you know this, but what if I told you Glover Teixeira was two years older than Shogun? That does that seems hard to fathom, doesn't it? I actually did not know this. Oh, you didn't uh, know that? Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't. Um, that That's crazy, man. Uh, I know Glover got into the UFC at a, at a young, at, at an old age, uh, and we've seen Shogun for for years. I, it got to a point where I didn't really realize how old Shogun was, but for 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 that to even be a reality, yeah. Glover being older than Shogun, that, that's just crazy. Yeah, and again, I mean, it speaks to how wild it is that his championship run that late happened the way that it did. And I mean, you know, most of the time it's, it's going the Shogun route, right? Like that late in your career, you're so far removed from what you were at your peak. And Glover was just finding his peak at the end. It's, it's pretty incredible. And, and again, he didn't win, but when you look at the run late in the career, you look at him, you know, losing 25 round, 25 minute wars in title fights to go out. I mean, we're going to remember Glover as, you know, maybe he loses on the way out, but he was an elite 205 er uh, at the very end of his career versus, you know, being somebody that's fighting a no-name on a fight card uh, for one last hoorah. Now, the the positive side of this, because Jamal Hill absolutely deserves all the credit in the world, like we talked about earlier, so much better than any of us even... I, like, I didn't even think it was possible for him to be that good in the takedown defense category against against Glover Teixeira. I didn't know how good he was going to be, but if you told me the, the takedown defense numbers, I would have said there's no way. If Glover has that many opportunities that he's going to get stuffed that many times. Uh, he also showed a chin, right? Glover did stun him a couple times uh, with big shots. We know Glover has power. He he showed a chin. The striking has always been exceptional. I think especially with his hands, Will, he's probably the best in the light heavyweight division. The accuracy, the precision, uh, we know the power is there. He's got the, the powerful kicks as well, which were on display. But he's showing a more well-rounded game that I think ultimately when you start to look forward – at who could potentially challenge him, what those fights look like, and a potential title reign, Jamal Hill doesn't feel like a one-hit wonder at all. Yeah, I mean, we just didn't really expect, we didn't know. Uh, I mean, he was kind of, this opportunity just kind of came out of nowhere after the Jan and uh, um, Ankalaya fight. He was supposed to fight Anthony Smith, which would have told us a lot of what we wanted to know about Jamal Hill, but like for that fight not to happen, we still had so many questions. Did this fight happen too soon? Uh, what is his takedown defense going to look like? All that stuff. But, I mean, he just knocked he knocked it out the park, man. I mean, I thought that his takedown defense would be good early. Um, but I thought once the fight wore on, once the cardio became an issue um, towards the end of the fight, that, you know, it would be easier for Glover to get takedowns. But 
it was tough for Glover to to get a hold of him and then for him to even uh, have any success when it was finally on the ground. Uh, Jamal Hill did a great job, man. Um, for that to be his first title fight in, in enemy territory, uh, he looked he he seemed like he was so locked in as soon as this fight was announced. Um, I mean, I, I was completely blown away by that takedown defense. Uh, like I said, Glover is the uh, is the best grappler in that division, and I mean, just to to even make things even better, Glover has the most finishes in light heavyweight history, uh, but he wasn't able to to finish Jamal Hill. He wasn't able to wrap up his submission on Jamal Hill. You know, that just goes to show. And I thought his kicks were on display uh, more in this fight than than we've seen previously. Yeah. Leg kicks were great. The head kicks obviously were really having an effect on Glover. So I mean, I think this was a, a I'm not going to say flawless, but it was as good as it gets. Uh, for a first-time title uh, title shot in enemy territory. I mean, a lot of uh, Jamal Hill did a lot of great things. Not only first-time title opportunity, but look at the level of competition. Like, I know he beat Tiago Santos, but he didn't beat the Tiago Santos that Glover beat, right? Like, this was a, by the time he faced him, a much watered-down version of the guy that at one point we felt like was a, a you know, real killer in this division. Um, Johnny Walker is a fringe top-10 guy, right? Um, we just saw Paul Craig lose again. I think Paul Craig fringe top 10 guy, but nobody would put Johnny Walker or Paul Craig in the like title contender category. Like the Anthony Smith fight, to your point, was going to be the real test to figure out like wh- how good is Jamal Hill? Is he a guy that we can legitimately say is a contender? He gets this opportunity. He absolutely aces it. But but the level of competition and that step up in this fight was unlike any fight he's he's seen to this point by a mile. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Jimmy Crew, Johnny Walker, Tiago Santos, those were his last three wins. But like you said, I mean, Tiago Santos, that was his best win. But he's a guy that was on his way out. You know, I think he held that spot in the top 10 because of his name. But, um, yeah, that's a ma- it was a massive, massive step up in competition. And I don't even think he really batted an eye at it. Uh, yeah. He took that. He took it head on, knowing that it was going to be an enemy territory, knowing that it was going to be hard. And you can tell. Even though this was a short camp, a shorter camp than what you would normally get for a high-level fight like this, um, he put his all into this camp, and it showed on fight day, man. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like when he finally, when that buzzer finally sounded. I mean, you saw the emotions just pour out of him. Uh, I, I thought that was just special to see him and his coaches embracing after the fight was over. Um, you can just tell it was just, it was so much hard work. I mean, it may seem like it came quick because of, you know, he, we saw him on the Contender Series and he's the first Contender Series champion and all that. But it was just amazing to see uh, Jamal Hill's growth from even just the Paul Craig fight. Um, yeah. Just to see his growth. Uh, it, it, it's awesome to see, man. I, I was blown away by that performance. I mean, we, we kind of talked about this with Yuri as well uh, when he won the title, but Yuri's 30 years old. Jamal Hill's only 31. Jamal Hill is 31, but also relatively young in the sport. Uh, he's only going to get better. Like to see him dial it in and focus that much in that opportunity against that level of competition. Uh, I mean, who knows how good this guy can become? Uh, but he's already pretty legit. I can't wait to see what's next for Jamal Hill at 205. Speaking of, the title was ultimately vacated because of an injury by Yuri Prohaska. Yuri, following the fight, uh, videos himself saying congratulations and yelling, I'm coming, um, which could maybe sound very odd in some <laughs> situations out of context. Um, it was, I, I loved seeing it. I, I think that stylistically is an incredible fight uh, that I, I would uh, sign me up to see. I mean, that's a fight of the year candidate in my mind. Um, if Yuri is healthy enough to get back in time to fight this guy, I would love to see it. I, I, I don't know what the timeline is. I, I've, you know, initially the timeline was a year plus. Um, I know that it's been thrown out that maybe by the summer he could be ready. I don't know what the timeline is, but um, a Yuri Jamal Hill matchup would be fantastic. Yeah, if if I'm Jamal Hill, that's the fight um, because there's always going to be that question: Who's the best light heavyweight in the world? You didn't beat the champion. Um, the champion wasn't available. He beat the next best guy. So for me, J- Jamal Hill is the is the champion. Uh, Yuri got hurt, but the title of best light heavyweight in the world, I think that's still up for grabs. And that's, and that is either Jamal Hill or Yuri Prohaska at this point. And I think, uh, like you said, that stylistic matchup would be 
Very, very fun to watch. I think if Yuri can get back and it's not a, a, a year, uh, if, it's, if it's July, August, he said in an interview um, that he's looking at July or August as um, potentially being able to, to return. Uh, if that's the case, then I think if I'm Jamal Hill, you wait for that for that fight. Uh, if that's not the case, you got to find somebody else. In the meantime, you know, there's there's tons of options out there. I feel like a lot of people in this light heavyweight bubble are in the same spot. You know, Anthony Smith, Rakic, Blahovich, Ankalaev, they're all just kind of in this bubble uh, of like unknown what's going to happen. I did hear that Anthony Smith said that he's got a fight coming up. Um, I don't know against who, but if it were me, um, I would I would want to see Yuri and Jamal Hill fight for the title. Like that fight has got to happen. And then uh, I would want to like mix up and see some fresh matchups in light heavyweight division. This division has some fun matchups that we haven't seen. I would love to see uh, Anthony Smith fight Jan Blahovic. I would love to see Akalaya fight um, Rackage. So like you know, there's a lot of fun matchups out there. You know, Johnny Walker just got a big win. Paul Craig is still you know there. You know he's having he's falling on some hard times. That's another po- good point. Uh, Ryan Spann's fighting uh, Krylov in, in the main event, I think, in March. Yep. So. A lot of good options out there. A lot of fun matchups in light heavyweight division. I'm glad this division is getting moving. There was a time when it was kind of just stagnant and we were just kind of waiting for what was next. But now um, this division has got some legs and uh, Jamal Hill being at the top of it. I mean, it's just awesome to see. It's it's interesting that I don't know, like perspective is everything. Which lens you're looking through to create your narrative is everything. And like for so long, sometimes I looked at this division and Sometimes I've been very eh on it. Sometimes I've liked it. Like, I think that we just saw such dominance from arguably the two greatest light heavyweights ever with DC and John Jones for over a decade, right? We saw such dominance that it just made, because they were so good, it made the rest of the division feel weak. And I think if you can just separate the gap between those guys and two of the greatest ever, then, and you look at it through that lens, then yeah, maybe it can be a lot of fun. And maybe it's the same division it always was. You just don't have John Jones and DC ruling supremely over it, right? Exactly. I mean, we're talking about two of the best fighters of all time. <laughs> I mean, the two best light heavyweight, like you said, of all time. Uh, like, if if John Jones was still at the top of this division, we probably wouldn't even look twice. So, these fights would be interesting, but I think at the same time, we'd probably be like, John Jones is going to win, DC is going to win. Um, but you know, now I feel like there's so much, uh, there's so much excitement. These matchups are so close, um, that, you know, I don't see there really being a dominant champion. I think when we made our picks, uh, I even said like, man, this division doesn't really have a dominant guy and, and it, and that's good for this division. And I, and you, you brought this up earlier. Uh, Alex Pajeda is, is, is lurking. He's going to Glover even said this. He said in, in the post fight, like, uh, Pajeda is going to fight middleweight one, two times, and then he's going to go up to light heavyweight. Like, I, that move is inevitable, inevitable because we all we, we referenced that picture <laughs> yeah. of Alex Pajeda and Dominic Reyes. That's another guy. Dominic Reyes is still in this division. I mean, he's falling on hard, on hard times as well, but he's still in this division. Um, Dustin Jacoby, uh, like, even towards the bottom. This division, um, with Jamal Hill at the top, there's still a lot of fun matchups, guys still coming up. I mean, there's a lot to love about this division, for sure. I know that Alex Pereira has not uh, was not like in a fight camp and cutting weight or any of that, but there was a there's a picture circling Twitter uh, where Jamal Hill and Alex Pereira are not standing very far apart from Saturday night in the octagon. Alex Pereira looks like the bigger dude, right? Again, he's not in fight camp and and cutting weight for a fight, and Jamal Hill just cut weight and then uh, fought 25 minutes. So, but you can see that clearly there's not like a an issue. Um, from a size standpoint, and yeah, I, I, I think Yuri is clearly the fight to make. Yuri was the champion. He, he didn't lose his belt inside the octagon. He vacated it, uh, as opposed to maybe even just trying to hold on to it and not letting anybody have a shot at it for a long period of time. Like I, there's something very admirable I think about what he did that absolutely has to be rewarded whenever he's ultimately good to go. The question is, when is he good to go? Um, I, if it's not Yuri. And part of this is the timeline in the middleweight division as well. If it's not Yuri, I don't I don't love any one person ahead of anybody else at 205. Like you said, there are a lot of really fresh matchups. There's a cluster of guys that I think you can make a case for to get a title shot. But I, I kind of like the idea of just having a lot of those guys fight each other. And let's see where the dust settles. We don't know a timeline on Israel Adesanya. Clearly, Israel Adesanya is getting a middleweight 
title shot whenever he's ready. Whatever that timeline looks like, whether that's in April, the July, November, whatever that timeline looks like, Israel Adesanya is getting that opportunity. If that timeline looks like it's going to be in the back half of 2023, I think you have a money-making gold mine with Alex Pedeta and Jamal Hill at 205. It's also like avenging Glover Teixeira as part of the, the narrative that you get to sell. That thing would make a boatload of money. It would have a ton of interest. And stylistically, Will, just like the Yuri matchup, Alex Pedeta and Jamal Hill is a stylistically pleasing fight. Who's not going to want to watch those two guys strike? Like it's That to me is a no-brainer if Israel Adesanya is not available in the very near future uh, at the middleweight division. But if it's not Yuri, at least by the middle point of this year, and if you're if if Izzy's not available for Alex at, at 185, I, I have no idea. I have no idea where you go. Yeah, I think you could you could match those two guys up. Like you said, it's 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 a money ching ching. Like uh, the build would be fun, even well, even though there's a language barrier there. But you know, we know what Alex Pereira brings to the table. That guy, that's a mean guy, and and we know that he's wanting to avenge his guy. You know. Um, so that the the stylistic matchup would be fun. Um, I think, man. I think if Izzy's not going to get the title shot, then I think Robert's going to get it at middleweight. Now, when that when that would be, I don't know. But I think there is some. Not, I'm not going to say concern, but there is some uh, reason to believe that Izzy probably is going to take time off, like you said earlier, yeah. um, and. If they don't, if they would rather, you know, have Rob wait, then, you know, it makes it does make a lot of sense. Like, why would you waste an Alex Pajeda title shot on a Cannoneer or a Vittori or somebody like that when you've got when he can just go up and fight a Jamal Hill? So it, it makes a ton of sense uh, if, if Yuri's not going to um, be able to fight by the summer and uh, we're still waiting on Izzy uh, for the middleweight title. I mean, I, I feel like that fight's definitely the fight to make. Uh, between Jamal Hill and Alex Pajeda. Because, like, as much as I would love to see Anthony Smith get a title shot because, you know, he was supposed to fight Jamal Hill and he did help Jamal Hill in this camp, um, he is coming off a loss. Like you said, a lot of these guys are, are going to have to fight each other to see who that number one guy is if it's not Yuri. So, in the meantime, you've got a money-making showstopper in Pajeda and Jamal Hill. So, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And like who everybody's interested in the possibility of somebody going champ champ status, right? Like that's a big part of that equation as well. Like you lose some of that shit. Like let's just say Robert Whitaker wins the title at 185. That diminishes, I think, the mystique that is Alex Pedeta currently. If he were to go up and lose at 205, like, okay, he didn't win at 205, but he's still the 185 belt holder, and there's still a mystique about him in that division. You see what I'm saying? Like it's it's easier to have him go up and fight at 205 first versus potentially lose some of the magic that you have there if you were to lose at 185. All on yeah. the assumption that Izzy is taking a long period of time off. Right, yeah. So the only two fights, well, three fights, um, that I would make for Alex Pajeda is Rod Asanya, of course. Uh, I would I would give Rob the title shot if, if it's not Izzy. Yeah. But let's say it's it's not those two. Like, would you give Hamzat a title shot right now at, at 185? If, like, Ooh. you know, if, if those guys are not ready and, you know, maybe Yuri comes back for Jamal, would you give Hamzat a title shot? Maybe. <laughs> it, okay, I'll say this. Unless, unless you're booking Hamzat versus Colby Covington, that's the only fight at 170 that I would say make happen before having Hamzat go fight at 185. So the answer is yes, unless you can get Hamzat Colby Covington booked. Okay, so there's very limited options for him at 185. Like you don't want to spoil Alex Pajeda's uh, first title defense, like you like you were saying on, you know, someone who's you know, I don't want to disrespect these guys, but you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, but yeah, so if he was to go up to 205 and lose, I mean, you st he still has the story, the wins over Izzy. Uh, Izzy went up and, and lost to Blahovich. So, I mean, it's not, it, it wouldn't, I don't think it would affect him that much. He's still right. very young in the sport. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, I, I don't think you, 
like there's a lot to be gained to move up and and become a champ champ but i don't think you necessarily lose a ton of momentum if you go up and you lose the fight you're still a champion you're still dominant in your in your weight group and you know people just kind of view it as okay you took your shot and you were punching above your belt and it didn't work and you go you just go back to dominant you know you go back to where you are the champion and you still have a lot of shine and sellability i think at, at that uh, situation versus the other way around so um it, it's interesting because there's you know hamzat is in play at welterweight and middleweight obviously alex Pereira is in play at middleweight and light heavyweight and then you have the timeline of israel adesanya and yuri prohaska all playing big factors in that entire equation which is what makes this crazy sport so much fun <laughs> absolutely all right, let's uh, let's move on to the co-main event. I guess po- I I was gonna say before Saturday, the final time that we see Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno inside the octagon, the fourth and final time. The way the fight ended on Saturday, I couldn't help but think maybe the door is still left open for another matchup somewhere down the line. So I'm gonna phrase it this way: possibly the fourth and final fight between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Has Brandon Moreno on top, your new flyweight champion. Following the fight, Davison Figueredo announces he is done with flyweight, tired of cutting all that weight. He's moving up to 135, which we already believe is the deepest division in the sport, right? Every week it's death, taxes, and bantamweights. I can't wait to see where Davison Figueredo factors into the bantamweight division. But before we get to him, your new flyweight champion is Brandon Moreno. Very well deserved. I thought he was fighting a brilliant fight. I had it 3 0. Uh, I hate the fact that it was a doctor stoppage, I think it was the right call. Uh, but I hate the fact that it was a doctor stoppage in the fourth fight between these guys. But again, I had it 3-0 and felt like Brandon Moreno just seemed to be on his game Saturday night. Yeah, you know, like I said uh, before the before this fight, it, it came down to the small details. Who was going to make better adjustments with those small details? And Brandon Moreno definitely made those adjustments, man. Uh, those from from fight to fight. Um, Whoever made those adjustments definitely won won the next fight. So fight four, I mean in fight three, Davison Figueredo did a great job with his leg kicks and with his wrestling. I think in this in this fourth fight, Brandon Moreno did a great job of negating those leg kicks and taking the wrestling to Davison Figueredo. Uh, he made this uh, a technical fight where Davison wasn't really able to land many power shots on him. Uh, once Davison was able to establish power in that third fight, I think those he banked a lot of rounds because he were he was landing the bigger shots. Um, Brandon was able to turn this fourth fight into a, a, a technical fight and then he never let him get started because he was using his wrestling. So, uh, Brandon did a great job, uh, in this fourth fight. Uh, everything just seemed on point. Like you said, uh, I had, I had Moreno up three Oh as well. It just seemed like he was just a step ahead of, Fre- of Figueredo everywhere. Uh, Davidson had some moments where it seemed like he trapped him in some submissions, but outside of that, uh, Brandon just kind of, uh, took this fight, took this fight over, uh, and then he landed that strike at the end of the third round, which uh, completely tore up the eye of, of Figueredo. Like you said, uh, you don't want to see it end on a doctor stoppage, but uh, at the end of the day, it is a TKO, yeah. and it was a, it was damage done by a punch. So for me, uh, that makes it. I, I think it, it puts some finality to it that it was that it was a finish. Um, I think the fact that Figueredo did move up, and um, Moreno's now the undisputed champion. I think that. We saw the last installment of of uh, Moreno Figueredo. Uh, I think Moreno's got so many, you know, challenges now. Uh, Pantoja's there, Kai Car France is there, uh, Manel Cops coming up. Uh, I think it's only a matter of time before he's in the picture. Mohamed Mokayev as well. So I think it's it's time for this division to move Amir on. Albazi. Oh, you can't forget about Albazi, who looks who's been looking great. So there's just a lot of options out there, and this division needs to move forward. I mean, we don't need to see. Moreno and Figueredo anymore. Yeah. They did their job, and this division was needed. This it Life needed a, a jolt of of, yeah. of energy like this, uh, a rivalry that's that's going to be in the history books for four for four fights. Yeah. This division needed that because it was on life support for sure. So um, they did a great job, um, and I'm excited to see what's next for both of them. I think we know uh, Moreno's probably going to fight Pantoja next, and then I don't know what's going to happen with Figueredo 135, but there's there's no sort of matchups out there for him. Yeah. By the way, I, I don't mean like I could see a fifth fight happening like anytime in the near future. I just meant 
and and I agree with you. I, I I look at it as a finale. I think there are a lot of people though that don't look at it that way. So from a sellability standpoint, I think there are a lot of people that would maybe subscribe to seeing it again because of the way that it finished. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think it does leave the door open that a couple years down the road, maybe neither guy is a champion. Uh, you know, I think that's still a, a fight they could probably book again, and and people are going to be excited to see those guys because the margin still isn't very slim. And look, at this point, it just seems like, why not, right? I, like, there were people on my Twitter timeline begging for for installment number five on fight night then after it finished. So maybe down the road, I don't see it anytime soon, but I think the door is cracked for that to maybe happen again. A little bit later. In terms of the Pantoja fight, Pantoja has two wins over Brandon Moreno already. Just real quickly, what do you think about that matchup? It, do, who do you think would be the favorite? I think it, the odds would be really close because of the first two meetings, but you have to consider that the championship level experience that Moreno has gained and the fact that he's gotten a lot better just by fighting Figueredo. Um, I think he's got he's gotten bigger. Um, he's gotten... Uh, sharper with his with his striking uh his wrestling uh his iq i mean moreno has just gotten so much better figueredo has definitely brought the best uh out of brandon moreno uh pantoja fought him in the ultimate fighter and he fought him very early in his ufc career so pantoja hasn't seen this brandon moreno yet but at the same time pantoja's gotten better as well um he's looked great against manel cop he looked great against alex perez he's won the fights that he's needed to win but in a matchup with moreno i know he's two up but uh, Moreno has gotten significantly better since the last time they fought. So in terms of the like what the odds would be, I think it'd be very close. But I kind of would think that uh, Moreno would be a slight favorite just because of the championship level experience that yeah. he's gained. If Pantoja wins a close decision, do we get a fourth installment of Pantoja, Brandon Moreno? You know, I don't think I don't think so. I don't not, at least not right away. But I think that would be something that you could do in the future, because it, I'm not going to say that. It's it's very much unlike um, Pajeda and Izzy. Like you know, those two fights were in kickboxing, but people don't like people aren't going to acknowledge them <laughs> as fights. Yeah. But like one fight with um, Pantoja and Moreno happened in the Ultimate Fighter house, right? And the other one happened very very early on. So like I feel like the UFC will kind of try to bury that first tough fight and then kind of make it as they've only fought once and they they're going to fight again. Yeah. Because at the end of the day. With Figueredo leaving, and probably even with Figueredo, Moreno's the biggest star that the flyweight division has. So I'm sure he's he's going to be hanging around that title picture for a long time. But I don't know if you knew this. Um, I think Brandon Moreno injured his knee uh, in camp, uh, and they're saying it, it's possibly a, a, an ACL. So I, I think that's something that's definitely going to factor into this. Um, I don't know what I don't know if it's exactly the ACL, but he, they were saying that. Uh, his knee popped in training, and uh, he barely made it to the fight. They were questioning whether they should take the fight, but Moreno wow. insisted on it. So um, he he went out there on a bad knee. I think that's probably why he wrestled a little bit more than he uh, than he normally would. But yeah, crazy. I did not know that. That is that's very interesting for sure. Um, in terms of the Davison Figueroa side of this, he moves up to bantamweight. What would you like to see in terms of matchmaking for Davis and Figueredo making his 135 debut? Man, I, I think he's going to run into a lot of issues with the size difference and the reach, you know, disadvantage that he's going to have. Um, I think you could you could give him uh, someone who's good. I mean, you're going to have to give him someone who's good. I don't know if you give him a top 15 guy, but like the bantamweight division is 30 deep of really, really solid <laughs> uh, fighters. So. For me, man, um, give him someone who's kind of like size uh, of him, like a Douglas Silva, DeAndrage. But if you want to give him a star right off the bat, use his name, uh, give him Cody Garbrandt. I think that fight makes a ton of sense. Uh, two two names, and uh, it, it would be a striker's delight for sure. I think that's the name that I immediately thought when Davison Figueredo announced in the Octagon that he's moving up. Uh, you have two former UFC champions, uh, both guys stylistically would match up well. Both guys now would be uh, having fought at 125 and 135. Uh, and yeah, it just makes all the sense in the world. I love that matchup. It'd be ton a ton of fun to watch. Um, the other one I thought of, because I like I like the idea of Dominic Cruz and Davison Figueredo. I don't think Cruz doesn't take that fight, though. 
right? Like, I think he's ve he's being very careful with the fights that he's going to take in the short amount of time that he has left. I don't think there's any chance that Dominic Cruz takes that fight. Because what does he have to gain from that fight, right? So Exactly. Maybe, like, um, I, I know, like, Rafael Asuncao has a fight coming up with Kyler Phillips, but that's a guy that, you know, at one point in time was one of the elite guys. Maybe that would be the type of test that, that you could uh, bring Davis and Figueredo into at 135. Yeah, but wh whoever it is, you want to give him uh, a name. You want to give him someone that the people know, someone that um, is going to test him right off the bat. Uh, but I think you really can't go wrong with any of these guys in the top 20, 25. There's so many, there's so many guys. Um, you kind of don't want to waste, waste it with you know, just a random name. Uh, but yeah, there's no shortage. Like a Sunset would be good. Yeah. Even a Kyler Phillips would be good. Jonathan Martinez would be good. Uh, like go down the list. There's a lot of fun matchups out there for him. Um, I think, like I said, that size disadvantage. Like I remember looking at, um, oh, what about uh, if uh, Cub Swanson's going to come back down to 135? Maybe you do that one. Um, okay. I, I don't know, man. There's just so many. There's so many options out there. But at the same time. Um, I don't know exactly who he would be favored against. Uh, there's just a lot of questions in terms of the size difference that he's going to face, but uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. I feel, I mean, I feel like Cub would be so much bigger on fight yeah. day than Davis and Figueredo, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's I, I mean, stylistically, that would be a fun one as well. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Gilbert Burns had the to steal a line from Mortal Kombat flawless victory over Neil Magny. I mean, he made this thing look about as easy as it can possibly look against a guy that does nothing but make it look very difficult for fighters, right? Even in, in um, a lot of Neil Magny's highs and lows, like he always just kind of muddies things up and, and makes it a little bit difficult. Gilbert Burns went through him with relative ease, right? I mean, I don't think he even got touched in the fight. Yeah. I, um, you know, normally you see Gilbert strike, but it's good when he shows his full arsenal. Uh, he just had a war with Hamzat. And then he comes in this fight, uses his grappling and his and gets a submission over a guy who who that's kind of his world, using grappling and, and submitting guys. So the fact that he was able to submit someone like Neil Magny, huge feather in his cap. But yeah, he made it look so easy. Um he continues to prove that he's one of the top welterweights in the world. Um I'm I'm curious to see what's next for him. I, I still think, man, it, it all depends on what Kobe Covington's gonna do. Uh He's still, I think he's still the number one contender or number two contender, but this division doesn't seem like it's going to move unless we find out what's going to happen with Kobe Covington. Yeah, is it going to be Hamza Chimaev next? Is it going to be uh, Gilbert Burns? Is it going to be uh, Bilal Muhammad? I, if I had to bet, I would say that it's more likely to be Gilbert Burns than Bilal Muhammad, uh, just because I think the UFC values marquee name, right? Like name on the marquee, like Gilbert Burns, I think is especially in a Colby fight, much more sellable than Bilal. Um, I also love the idea of Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad fighting each other. Um, that, that I think, is a very fun fight, and you get a real serious title contender from the winner of that fight uh, equally. So I, I would love to see almost any matchup in that trio. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, uh, I think that Gilbert and Bilal are both guys who don't care about who they fight. They just want to. They, they just want to get back to the title by any means. I think Kobe is so uh, he's he's standing on his spot, but I think he wants the right matchup. But I think of the matchups that are there, there are, there are none that really favor him. Like he after he beat Masvidal, um, he called out Dustin Poirier. Like where are your intentions lying? Are you trying to be champion? Are you just going after the money? But eventually, something's going to have to happen with your with your spot at the top of the division. Um, there's a new champion. I know he'll probably uh, make a claim for a title shot, but you've had two title shots already. Um, you're going to have to earn a another one. And I think he's one fight away. He he beat Masvidal. I think he he just needs to beat one of these guys. Um, Hamzat, Kobe, or Hamzat Gilbert, uh, Bilal. I just don't think he wants to fight uh, Hamzat. I think of the, of the scenarios, I think it, yeah. it is going to be Gilbert Burns. I don't think he wants any parts of, of Hamzat. I mean, I haven't seen Kobe this quiet for so long. Like ever since, I know the Masvidal thing happened and the punch and everything, but ever since uh, the the thought was the idea was brought up of him fighting Hamzat, we haven't heard a peep out of Kobe yeah. Covington. So um, I think that's the fight to make. It seems like that's the fight everyone wants to see, Kobe and Hamzat. But 
of the of the scenarios, I, I think that's the least likely for him to accept. Yeah, I, I just have a hard time seeing Colby want to take that on. Um, I, I think Gilbert Burns is a really tough fight for him as well. But um, if given those two options, Gilbert Burns is is clearly, I think, the, the path that Colby takes. Gilbert threw out the idea that they were throwing around um, those two guys being the tough coaches, which is also interesting. And I mean, that's how you build a fight, right? Colby as a tough coach where he's just going to be chirping, calling Gilbert Burns Dilbert uh, for several yeah. months leading up to that fight. And here's the other thing. That's like the classic good guy, bad guy matchup, right? Like Gilbert Burns is as likable as anybody in the UFC from a personality standpoint. He's just a nice guy, right? Every time he talks, just nice as can be. And Colby's the ultimate villain. Like that, that is a money-making machine, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, just like you said, Colby's going to be getting on his nerves the entire time. Um, probably is going to make some Brazil references like, like he did when he was in Brazil yeah. last time. Uh, if that happens, I mean, that would make the fight. It's all there, uh, for, for Kobe, uh, and Gilbert if they're, if they're tough coaches. But, um, I do wonder, uh, where Mazadov fits into this because he is one of the biggest stars in the UFC and Gilbert wasn't discussions to fight him before this Neil Magny fight took place. So I wonder if, if Mazadov is going to find his way in this picture Maybe it's Gilbert and Masvidal next. Masvidal has now lost three in a row. I kind of feel like they're going to give him a stylistic, stylistically good fight. Like, I think they're going to give him just a, a striker next. I don't know who that is, but I, I don't see them giving him Gilbert or Bilal. They're certainly not going to give him Hamzat. I mean, Colby ran through him pretty easily, didn't he? Oh yeah, that was a five zero. I mean, fifty forty five. Um, I I think they they give him a striker to maybe regain some positive momentum. Who? Well, you could. I guess you could do Wonder Boy at this point. Uh, I think both guys. I think that's the fight that both guys need at this point. Uh, a, a striker versus a striker. So maybe that's the fight they go with. But um. I know Masvidal. At the end of the day, he he's going to claim that he wants the you know the championship. He has championship aspirations, so I I know he accepted a fight with Gilbert. Um, so uh, well before he said that he would fight him, but not in Brazil. That whole thing, but um, I don't know, man. I, I do see him probably fighting Ma or, uh, probably fighting Wonder Boy, but is Masvidal has he become too big of a star? <laughs> for for that, you know. I mean, he lost a Wonder Boy, so I mean, I don't, you know. Yeah, he did. Uh, Wonder Boy beat him pretty easily too, so I don't know. What about I, I Luke? Just wonder where he? That's a good fight, but will he? Will Masvidal feel like he's too good for her, for Luke? I don't know, but that would be a great fight. Um, we'll see, man. Uh, maybe uh, Masvidal's in play for McGregor whenever McGregor comes back. So. I don't oh, know, that's man. the fight. I mean, I've yeah, I think we've been saying that for a while. That's the fight you make. Yeah, that is definitely the fight you make. But I just feel like that fight would be so tough. Like, who's the A side? Even though we know it's Connor, but like Masvidal's going to feel some type of way because he's become a star since Connor's not been fighting that much. Um, but yeah, that's the fight. If ultimately for both for both of those guys, that is the fight. I mean, but, Connor I will mean, play the bad guy role in that fight. Masvidal will be the, I think, viewed as the good guy role in that fight, but that's the fight. To, that that will is probably the biggest fight in UFC history, in terms of yeah money. money. Oh yeah. yeah, that probably breaks that probably breaks Khabib's record or or uh, gets right under it uh, in terms of pay per view pay per view buys. Uh, it'll be right there uh, because Masvidal became such a star off that Asker knee, and we know what McGregor brings to the table. So yeah. Um, I forget what the number was, but I definitely yeah. see probably close to two million buys for that. Yeah. All right, we got to talk about uh, Jessica Andrade and the win over Lauren Murphy. You mentioned that Jamal Hill is uh, at least in the in the early conversations for performance of the year. I think you have to throw Jessica Andrade in there as well. Um, a fight in the flyweight division where we know Jessica Andrade bounces between straw and flyweight uh, against a contender that has really looked good outside of the matchup with Valentina Shevchenko, and this was. This was complete dominance to the point that I was like, okay, it's time to stop it. Like, multiple times, it's time to stop this fight. Uh, Jessica Andrade absolutely battered Lauren Murphy. 
Oh yeah, Laura Murphy had nothing for Andrade, man. Uh, and I was saying before the fight, man, that I thought that this betting line was too wide, but it turns out that the betting line wasn't wide enough. Uh, Jessica Andrade should have been a minus one thousand because that <laughs> it was a completely flawless performance from Andrade. She was better everywhere. Laura Murphy had nothing for her. Andrade was faster, stronger, uh, better striker, better fight IQ, just just everything. Uh, Andrade was 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 better than Laura Murphy at. Um, Laura Murphy had nothing for her. Between the second and third rounds, I definitely thought that the corner was going to stop it, but it didn't even look like the corner even uh, even thought about stopping it. Uh, I definitely didn't think that there was anything that Lauren Murphy was going to do in the third round except get battered more. Uh, I didn't think there would be any type of miracle or because she wasn't getting any takedowns. She wasn't really landing anything. It was just she's just going out there to get beat up. <laughs> That's all it yep. was. So just an incredible performance from Montrage. Um, in terms of spinning it forward for Andrade, uh, you know, when she was the strawweight champion, she ultimately loses her belt to Zhang Wei Li. I love the title fight going back to strawweight for Andrade next. Uh, I know you would subscribe to that as well. If that's not the fight, any other ideas? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, Lemos is the is the number one contender, but Andrade has a win over her. So, like, I think it makes sense. Yeah, she was a champion, and then she never got the rematch. But if that's not on the table, man, um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a third uh, Andrade Rose fight, uh, or just to see her against one of these top contenders at um, at straw weight, because I think she's one win away from a title shot or getting a title shot. But it's the same thing with flyweight. I think she's kind of proved that she's in that bubble of you know Valentina's up here, and then Andrade has beaten everybody else outside of Valentina, even Caitlin Chukagan. So maybe. Um, Maybe we see Jessica Andrade fight a, a Manon Fiore whenever she comes back because she doesn't have a fight book. You know, Grasso's getting the title shot. Um, Ty Santos is fighting Aaron Blanchfield. I think uh, maybe down the line, that's the next fight. Uh, Manon Fiore and uh, Jessica Andrade. By the way, I was I would love to see an Andrade uh, Aaron Blanchfield fight. Ooh, man. Now that I think about is it is is it is it bad for me to think that Blanchfield would might do the same thing she's done to everybody else to, uh, to Andrade? I that, I don't know, man. Like I th- that to me would I don't know how to feel about it, but I I would love to see it. Yeah, I would love to see that one, man. I, I just the only thing I would wonder about is Andrade's experience, but I think right uh, at at one twenty five, Aaron Blanchfield just seems like she's so much stronger than everybody that maybe yeah. uh, Andrade would be at a size disadvantage and she would get ragdolled too. But it it would make for a fun fight for sure. Yeah. Sign me up. A hundred percent. All right. Uh, the main card. Hold on. Page froze. All right. There we go. Well, the main card began in the light heavyweight division. Johnny Walker gets the finish over Paul Craig. Uh, this one was over with the snap of fingers, and uh, this was Paul Craig getting caught once again. I mean, we, we saw this a little bit in his last fight. Um, you know, the stand-up wasn't there. He's going for the finish, and as soon as he wrapped up, I mean, Johnny Walker just teed off. Yeah, um, I think we knew that the fight would end early, whether it was a Paul Craig submission or Johnny Walker getting a, a knockout finish. Um, Johnny Walker seems like he's just coming into his own. Uh, I think the, the move to SBG with uh, John Kavanaugh uh, in Ireland, I think that's finally starting to pay his dividends. Um, we knew that Johnny Walker's a, a great athlete. He's got the size and everything, but um, after that big power, we didn't really know what you know what was what he what he had to uh, offer after that. And I think he he spent a few of these fights, like the Santos fight, and um, so he spent some of these fights trying to just you know gather octagon time using other skills. But he's still a a, a phenomenal finisher. Uh, creative striker. Uh, he can hit guys, and like he literally had his leg up in the air and knocked out Paul Craig. So um, he's still a fun fighter, and uh, if he can put everything together, he could potentially make a run. So I mean, I think it's everything's still out there on the table for Johnny Walker. Uh, give me the worm as one of my favorite celebrations, by the way. Yeah, you, and you see, this time he went on his knees first before he went down there <laughs> because you know first he just went complete down on the mat and separated the shoulder but he went down there gently softly and then just went crazy with the worm yeah. it, was, it was great yeah all 
All right, let's talk about some of the prelims. Uh, we have both tabbed Jalton Almeida after a 3-0 2022 as a possible two-division contender. Um, I've gone as far as saying maybe two-division boogeyman, giving up 30-plus pounds in the heavyweight division to a top-10 heavyweight and ragdolling this guy. Beware of Jelton Almeida. Uh, what an incredible performance. Yeah, like you said, beware. Uh, light heavyweights, you better just hope that he stays a heavyweight because uh, he's coming for all, for all these guys. Uh, I think he's a bad matchup for a majority of these ranked guys in both divisions. <laughs> and it's crazy to even say that. Yeah. Um, but the way he was able to ragdoll Shamil Abdurrahimov, who was 30 pounds heavier than him, uh, just able to control him in every aspect and then was able to get the finish. Um, I think he's kind of settled at heavyweight. I, I kind of think he's going to try to um, fight one of these uh, heavyweights next. Uh, I don't see why he would want to just start cutting weight. I think he gets the heavyweight title or at least gets a chance at it and then goes down to light heavyweight. Um, but I think it's all on the, it's all out there for him. Everything's on the table. Um, you know, those guys right ahead of him, like uh, Chris Dacus, who I think he could easily take his spot. Uh, Rosenstrike would be a fun matchup. So it's all it's all out there, man. Almeida's Almeida's got the skill. Um, he's got the look. Uh, like you said, two division boogeyman for sure. If he decides he wants to cut weight, I don't know that. I mean, outside of, you know, the top handful of guys, uh, I don't know that I even question the majority of the ranked 205ers giving him a problem. I don't see where it comes from, man. Uh, uh, like, Vulcan Uzdemir is ranked number nine. I think if he were to fight Jonathan Almeida right now, I would my money would be on Jonathan Almeida. That's bad news for, sure. for Uzdemir, I think, yeah. Uh, Nikita Krylov is ranked number seven. Uh, I think Almeida ragdolls him as well. I think we're, we're like you said, we're looking at the top, top level guys before we even look at someone who could give him any type of trouble yeah and you know even then i mean his size at at, at 205 is something but like you're gonna have to have one of the best strikers in the sport like a jamal hill uh or a yuri prohaska that can somewhat negate him just coming in and bullying you to the ground but that dude's a problem man and the same thing at light heavy or at heavyweight like i look at the top 15 and um, I think the majority of those guys, I'm I'm probably betting on on Jelton Almeida. Although you do get to a point where it's like just the pure size mixed with the skill set and the heavy hands has to start to give you some pause. But uh, man, I can't wait to see what's next for this guy. He is uh, just a steamroller at the moment. Uh, we also had two two UFC debuts from the Bonfim brothers, uh, both on Contender Series this past year. Both guys have had a ton of hype around them in terms of of what the ceiling is. Uh, just like Almeida, the hype train is real for both of these guys. In fact, Ishmael uh, maybe has the leader early on in 2023 for knockout of the year with his finish over Terrence McKinney. Yeah, and it was it was a, it was a surprise for me, man, because I thought that he would be more of a guy to try to drown McKinney uh, and get a decision win. But he actually took the fight to him, was pressuring him, was in his face, and then uh, ended up getting that knee, which was just perfectly placed. Uh, obviously knocked McKinney out cold. Um, and then the, the other one, Gabriel uh, Bonfim, you know, Lizez was kind of forced into a shot because uh, Bonfim was in his face the entire time. And so I think Lizez was just like, shit, I got to do something to stop this pressure. Uh, so he, he shot for a takedown and then it, it, he ends up in a in a, a guillotine just, just like that. The explosion was just crazy. Uh, the transitions was crazy. And then he gets to finish. So both these guys, it seems like they've got something because those are two um, tough, tough fights to walk into the UFC into, and they've just passed the test with flying colors, man. Yeah, um, I mean, for Ishmael Bonfim uh, at lightweight to do what he did to Terrence McKinney, I mean, I, if they gave him a ranked fighter at 155 next, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I mean, that's uh, Terrence McKinney, I think, is just on the outside of the rankings looking in. Uh, and then um, the younger brother, but the one that I think most people feel like has the higher ceiling is the bigger prospect in the long run, uh, Gabriel Bonfim at welterweight uh, gets gets the finish over Lizez the way that he did. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the hype is real, right? There's been a lot of talk about these two guys. And uh, on that sort of stage against that level of competition, both delivered in a, in a very, very big way. Um, another big-time UFC debut, Will, was Bruno Ferreira getting the finish over the RoboCop, Gregory Rodriguez. That was one that he steps in on short notice, obviously. Um, I didn't think too much of it, but, I mean, he hit... RoboCop with the right shot at the right time and put his lights out. 
Yeah, I, like you said, I didn't think much of it either. I was like, oh, this guy's coming in on day's notice. Like RoboCop is so is, has been proven to be so good. Uh, but one thing that I noticed right away, as soon as the fight started, was this guy's movement. Uh, switching stances. He was uh, he's kind of got a Muay Thai stance, but he was continuously switching stances, and he was uh, giving um, RoboCop different looks. So whenever those those strikes were coming, I don't think RoboCop was prepared for the speed of uh, of Bruno, but it was a phenomenal performance. He got the knockout, and there was such a size difference, but he was able to um, jump in and out of distance so well. Like like I said, the movement was just was great, uh, and then he got that knockout. It was a spectacular finish for sure. Before we wrap up, anything else on this fight card that stood out to you that you wanted to mention? Uh, just. To put a bow on Shogun, who is career man, um, it was fun to watch him in Pride and fun to watch him win the title in the UFC. I think one of my first UFC pay-per-views that I ever watched, he won the title from Machida. Um, he had a phenomenal career. Uh, his fight against Dan Henderson, the first fight, is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm glad he's recognized for that. But just a uh, historic career, one of the greats. Uh, he's the last guy from Pride that was still in the UFC, so... We closed the chapter on, on the pride uh, um, contingency in the UFC, but uh, just a phenomenal career. Uh, hats off to Shogun for a great career, man. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I it, it's crazy, like I said earlier, the fact that he's two years younger than Glover uh, just doesn't even feel like a, a real thing because Glover's peak was so late in the last few years of his career where you know, Shogun, it feels like, has been around for as long as the sport, right? Like, for as far back as I can remember, the at least modern era of what the UFC is, uh, and, and you know, even going back before that, like you said, with Pride, like, he's been a big part of what this sport is, and one of those names that, you know, way back in the day was just, like, one of the first names you had mentioned when you even brought up the sport. Uh, it's wild that, that he's two years younger than Glover Teixeira, but the guy's been around forever and is an absolute legend, for sure. All right, man, like I said, no UFC fight card this weekend. And uh, we do have a Bellator fight card, Ryan Bader and uh, Fedor Emelianco, uh, the final Fedor fight ever uh, for, for what some view as the greatest heavyweight of all time, potentially in MMA. Uh, so there is that on the horizon, but uh, no UFC card as we get ready for a, a packed couple months in February and March. Yeah, man. Um, I will say this, though, about that card that we're going to return to. Uh, I know that the card starts at midnight, Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak. Uh, that does not seem like it's a card that I will stay up for because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that card, but yes, that is that is one of the, um, I mean, during the during the pandemic, I would have been geeked for that card. I'm not even going to lie to you. I would have been geeked for that card during the <laughs> pandemic. But, but now, I look, I look at that card and I'm like, wow, yikes. That's not one of the best uh, that the UFC has come up with. But I think it's maybe Super Bowl weekend. That, isn't that Super Bowl weekend or is that the next weekend? Um, I believe that's the weekend before Super Bowl weekend. Okay, well, uh, that's not one. Of, I think that's a card that's that was kind of thrown together trying to, um, because they were trying to go to South Korea and things didn't work out. But yeah, that that card's a little eh. But um, after it's that, a lot of international flavor cards. and guys that aren't aren't necessarily mainstream here, uh, and some guys that well, I don't even know who they are. So like, I will definitely <laughs> have to do my homework before the next podcast. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think I kind of got my picks already, but yeah, definitely a lot of homework that needs to be done for sure. On the prelims, at least. I The main card I'm good with, but the prelims, like I'm, I'm looking at half the names on there. I'm like, I, I don't know who that is. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to do a little research and, and figure out who we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. Some of these names are like you're fighting in the UFC. Is this your debut, sir? Yeah. But yeah, I, a lot of homework. I yeah. will have the statistic for you on the next pod when we get to that fight week. But I will have the statistic on how many guys are making their UFC debut because I feel like it's got to be at least five. So, or maybe I'm yeah. just completely oblivious to some name. I, I'm really good at watching. Like, I, I don't miss very many prelim fights. So, I mean, sometimes there are names that slip through the cracks. And I'm like, I don't ever remember having seen that guy fight. But for the most part, I catch almost all of them. And there are multiple names on this that I have no clue. So, uh, I will give you the number of UFC debuts that will be taking place on this fight card in a couple weeks. But um, one thing on the plus side that we do have, we have the return of the Korean Superboy, so that's something to look for. Um, and then you got the heavyweight, uh, the heavyweights Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. So I say that you know the the card's a little light, which it is, but you know you yeah. got the heavyweight swinging and banging. So we'll, you know hopefully we see a fun knockout. Here's what I'll say: these are generally the kind of cards that maybe don't have a lot of enthusiasm. 
but give you just some wild ass fights. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'll give it some love because, you know, I shouldn't have went, I shouldn't have ragged on it off the bat but just when i looked at it earlier i was like wow yeah. well it's we were talking about this earlier it's the marquee factor right like the names on the marquee don't get you super excited for the card yeah for sure um of course you got the Derek lewis factor yeah. and he's the he's a big fan favorite but outside of him yeah like you said there's not a lot of names that people will, yeah. that people will know so we're gonna have to do a good job of selling this but you and i are more concerned with what the whole card looks like versus having one big name in the main event right like i would rather have a shitty main event and a loaded card than a shitty card and like the biggest main event you could, you could come up with. Right. Like that. So that's, that's part of it for me also. Man. Yeah. So, okay. I got I know we, I know we need to run, but I got a scenario for you. Okay. Would you rather see UFC 281 big Madison square garden card or the, a McGregor card that's just built around him? Like McGregor versus Cerrone that had like Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington, and uh, I forget who I was even on that card, but a, a card like that. 281. Okay. Yeah. Well, that had a pretty good main event. Let me, I mean, let take me out, even if you take, take out the main event, like take out the main event of that card, and I'll still choose 281 over like the... Okay, yeah. Carla, and Wa- Carla and Whaley is your main event now. You'd rather pay, you'd choose 281 over a McGregor. Yes. Hmm. Assuming that the Mc- probably, like like assuming the McGregor fight card isn't loaded all the way up and down the same way that 281 is, yeah. Like, like if you put a McGregor uh, fight in place, like put two seven like 270, put the 270 card, but put McGregor and like I don't know like Gaethje as the main event. That would, I would yeah, love that yeah, fight. Yeah, but I'm still choosing 281 as the card I'd rather see. With Carla and Whaley as the main event. Yeah. I'm probably I'm probably with you, but like that McGregor Gaethje. I don't know, man. That's a that's a good ass. Oh, fight. it's a great fight for sure. But it's like <laughs> I I want I, it's the entirety of the card for me because I'm going to watch yeah. the whole card, right? Like I'm not just going to tune yeah, yeah, in yeah. for like thirty minutes or an hour. So or yeah, just for just for that one fight, right? Back in the casual days, that would probably oh been yeah a reality. But but now you know we're fully invested into yes. this sport where we watched the first fight on the early prelims all the way to the very end. So yeah, I'm with you. Like five years ago when I wasn't able to watch like whole cards anyway and wasn't paying attention on a weekly basis and like i knew all the big stars but like i couldn't tell you who like even like in every division like i couldn't tell you the top 15 in every division right like i just i wasn't watching it often enough um so at that point in time yes it would be all about the name on the marquee who's in the main event and that would determine whether i'm paying attention or not yeah this whole shogun stuff had me thinking like i can't even remember how I was back in those days when I didn't know anything about the sport <laughs> because like <laughs> when Shogun won the title from a cheetah, I remember I'm just sitting there, everyone's going crazy and I'm just kind of like, Oh, this, this seems fun, you know? Uh, but back in those days, like I only knew Brock Lesnar, like I knew uh, of Brock Lesnar. I didn't know anybody else. So it's crazy that I've come this far to be in the, such a hardcore that I am. Yeah. But yeah, when I first started watching it, it was Brock Lesnar. And then I slowly started to, you know, learn about everybody else but being a casual i can't even imagine it nowadays yeah yeah it's it's <laughs> wild and i'm i'm just like i could i could tell you the the handful of and not even with every division especially like back in the day i i wasn't necessarily crazy about the like lightweight featherweight like back in the day i wasn't even crazy about those divisions necessarily like it was basically welterweight and up was what i paid attention to and i could tell you the handful of like contenders in each of those divisions that I was absolutely going to pay attention to. But outside of that, yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't have been able to to tell you much about the rest of the division or who like the big up and comers were or, or any of that. So. Crazy how far we've come, man. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right, my brother, uh, UFC 283 in the books, great card week off before we uh, come back and, and make picks for that. Uh, Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak uh, main event card featuring a ton of, Potentially UFC debuts. We'll, we'll find out that number in a couple of weeks. All right, man. Have a good one, brother.